Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to hear from David Garrison on the 12 characteristics of movement leaders. Thanks to the On The Road podcast for making this interview available. And I started just jotting down over the years, people I've known who have uh, led movements among unreached people groups that have led to multiplying disciples. I came up with 12 characteristics that sort of uh, jumped out in my, uh, my memory of these uh, individuals and, uh, and what stuck in my mind that I heard from them or that I saw in their lives that uh, were impactful and that led to movements. So if I can, I'm going to go through a dozen of these. There's, I'll keep them kind of brief, but uh, 12 uh, characteristics that came to mind. The first one is that they had a magnificent obsession. Uh, it's a term that I heard uh, Jim Slack use when he looked at strategy coordinators, missionaries who were getting to movements among a, a very difficult unreached people group. They, they were obsessed with the idea of their people coming to Christ. And they believed that someday there would be millions of that people group gathered around the throne and that maybe those people wouldn't even know that there had been a missionary behind the scenes making it happen, uh, doing the things that led to their coming to Christ. Uh, but it was that obsession that led them to see what was there even before it was there. Someone said, uh, if you can't see it before you see it, you're never going to see it. And uh, whether they saw the full picture or not, they had this idea that God wanted this to happen. That was enough. And that became their magnificent obsession. The second thing is we began to hear them talk about my people. You get a guy from Iowa or a guy from Texas, and he's referring to the Azerbaijani people of uh, the former Soviet Union or talking about Yemeni Arabs of Yemen. And he didn't refer to them as, as a different people. They were his people or her people. And, and they would use that term oftentimes, my people. And they, there was a sense of ownership, not just that they owned that people, but that that people and that people's uh, uh, place in God's kingdom uh, had, had consumed them and captured them. And they identified with it. One of, uh, one of our early strategy coordinators uh, was being interviewed in Baku, Azerbaijan. And he was asked, uh, why would a fellow from America give his life to our people? And he says, uh, you know, by God's grace, I've cast my destiny with this people. And there's something about that, the sense of ownership that it possesses you and, uh, and you feel a part of it. A third thing that, that every, every leader, movement leader, uh, comes to realize whether he, he uses these words or not, he, he assumes a wig take worldview. Wig take mm-hmm. stands for what's it going to take. Now that's in contrast with simply what can I do? When we ask about what can I do? We assess our talents and our abilities and what could I contribute to this situation? What could I uh, realistically accomplish? But wig take, the what's it going to take question is asking the bigger question. It's a God-sized question, which means you're now seeing a people, not from your perspective and your limitations, but really from God's perspective. What does God desire for this people group? And that's what leads you to best practices. Uh, They're not necessarily something you created or something you invented. 
but it's something that God desires for this people. And so you're willing to learn and adapt and be a part of it. Uh, a fourth characteristic is that many of these movement leaders are remarkably lateral thinkers. They don't get uh, fixated on one way of doing things. And if that doesn't work, they, they, they're frustrated and they go home. Uh, they're going to have a lot of failures along their way. But as lateral thinkers, they realize there's always another way to do something. You know, there's a million reasons why a particular people group are not yet followers of Jesus. But at the same time, because God desires this, you believe in faith that there is a way. And so you're continually searching for that. You're, you're working around uh, problems because uh, movement leaders are problem solvers. They see problems as they emerge because they're not always there at the beginning. Sometimes they, uh, they evolve over the course of a movement's development. And these uh, lateral thinkers, these movement leaders are problem solvers. Uh, a fifth thing that we note in these uh, movement leaders is that uh, they never take no for an answer when it comes to reaching their people for Jesus. Um, I love this uh, uh, little anecdote that uh, a woman doctor told me some years ago. She was committed to a particular unreached people group and had a vision and a passion for them. And she says, you know, a lot of people talk about you move forward until you come to a closed door. She said, you know, when we come to a closed door, we knock on that door. If the door doesn't open, we rattle the handle. If the handle doesn't open the door, we take the door off the hinges because we know that God desires that people to come to Christ. That's irrefutable, uh, and we're not going to be defeated by closed doors. We're going to be prepared to do whatever it takes to see those doors removed so that these people can come to faith in Christ. A sixth characteristic is ruthless evaluation. You know, the vision that, that God gives us for people coming to faith, an entire people coming to faith in Christ, that vision is immutable. That comes from God. It doesn't change. But the strategy, the tactics, the methods that we use to accomplish that vision, well, those things are always uh, dynamic and in flux. They're changing because uh, we're tackling different things at different times. Initially, it may be just getting access to a people group. Uh, later, it's presenting the gospel in a way that's good news to them. That's a different challenge. After a while, it's how do we disciple these new believers in such a way that uh, they not only grow in their faith in Christ, but they come to embrace the vision that God has laid on our heart, the vision that God has for that people. And so um, we continually evaluate what doesn't work, and we set aside those things that don't work so that we can continually uh, align our time, our efforts, our methodologies in a way that accomplishes what God desires for that people. The vision is immutable, but the strategy must be adaptable. A seventh thing that we see in movement leaders is that uh, we recognize that this is God's work. It's not our work. And I realize sometimes when we talk about methods and approaches and, and hard work, and there is a lot of hard work involved in being a leader, sometimes you feel like you're 24-7 but to recognize that this is God's vision and God's work. He's the one that launched it. He's the one that sustains it. He's the one that's going to fulfill it. And what that can do is give us uh, the opportunity to exhale sometimes. Uh, leaders who are seeing movements really come to fruition. They're not just exhausted all the time and, and on the edge of burnout. 
Sometimes the most faith-filled thing you can do is step away from the work for a while, put it in God's hands, and then realize that what he's given you is the privilege of getting to be a part of something that he's doing, something much bigger than yourself. I heard an African leader one time, he says, you know, we are privileged and blessed to be a part of this great commission vision that God has given us and this great commission work that God is about and all of his people are about. He said, it's sort of like uh, the ant, a little ant who crawled up to the edge of a mighty river and he wanted to cross the river and he thought, how could I possibly do this? And he saw an elephant was about to cross the river and he scrambled over and climbed up on the toenail, then up onto the foot and then up the leg of the elephant Finally, reaching the back of the elephant, he climbed on top as the elephant stepped into the river and began to wade into the water and then paddle into the deep water and finally emerge on the other side. And as they emerged on the other side, the little ant crawled up to the big ear of the elephant and he whispered in the elephant's ear, we did this together. And uh, recognizing that any leader who's privileged to be a part of a movement is really riding on the back of God who's done all the heavy lifting, and we get the joy and the privilege of seeing God fulfill his purpose among that people group. So there's a humility that goes with that. There's a gratitude that goes with that. And there's a joy that goes with being a movement leader. An eighth characteristic is that movement leaders recognize with great confidence that we know how the story ends. In Revelation 5, 9 is, uh, is the promise that we have that someday there will be a multitude from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne. And that includes the people among whom we're working, even if that people seems to be obstinate and stiff-necked and resistant. You know, so too were we at one time. Uh, all of us uh, are set against God by nature. We're fallen. We're flawed. And that includes the people that we're trying to reach. And oftentimes, those people who are the the snarliest, uh, the meanest, the most resistant become the most passionate advocates of Jesus Christ. And so knowing how the story ends gives us uh, grace and confidence and trust that if we keep moving forward, we will eventually come out where God desires us to come out. And that sort of relates to uh, a ninth characteristic of movement leaders. Uh, It's so liberating to realize that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about your weaknesses, your limitations, what you can do, what you can't do, where you failed, uh, where you're having to uh, be remade, where you stumble and fall. Uh, it's about God's glory, God's glory in your own life. And by, by God's glory, I'm referring not to some mystical, magical something. God revealed his glory to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we say it's not about us, it's about God's glory. It's about being Christ-like and about seeing Christ-likeness multiplied among the people to whom God's called us. And if we can remember that, that we're not pointing to ourselves or our abilities, we're continually pointing to that ideal of uh, Christ and Christ in us is the only hope of God's glory. A tenth a uh, characteristic that movement leaders recognize is that God can hit straight with a crooked stick. Now, that's nice to know. That's an old Arkansas expression, but I see it in movements all over the world. Like uh, Jeff pointed out, these movement leaders, uh, they don't drop down out of heaven. They rise up out of hell. And when they come up out of hell, they're messy. Sometimes uh, we've worked with Muslim movement leaders who, uh, before they became 
followers of Jesus, they already had one or two or three wives. And uh, when they came into the kingdom, they carried this baggage from a previous life, and they had to submit it to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But knowing that God uses flawed people, not these saints who never seem to quite touch the ground, but people who have doubts, questions, fears, they have tempers that they wrestle with. And it also recognizing that God can hit straight with a crooked stick reminds us to look outside of the usual places for God's glory to be revealed and for his resources to be made available. Um, I remember uh, one of our first uh, strategy coordinators, missionaries who went into work in uh, uh, Turkmenistan. Turkmenistan is one of the toughest places in the world, north of Iran. At the time, it was still a part of the former Soviet Union. And when he went in, uh, he uh, began just looking to see where God was at work because he wanted to join God uh, rather than try to do something on his own. And uh, he went to one of the big mosques there in the capital city. He met with the imam and he told him, he said, we want to see God's glory multiplied across Turkmenistan. And that mosque leader said, if you come into our country, we will pray for you and we will help you to get established in this country. Well, that's a crooked stick without any doubt, but God can use those crooked sticks. When we were in uh, my wife and I and our young family were in Tunisia, we, uh, we wanted to bring in a delegation of uh, Baptist educators who were going to help us create some uh, educational exchange programs so we could bring lots of Christian witness into colleges and universities across Tunisia. To our uh, surprise and delight, the Tunisian Ministry of Tourism said, if you will bring in educators from Baptist colleges and universities, we will provide you uh, we will provide you with uh, free hotels for them to stay in when they come to visit. We will pay for all the expenses for their uh, various visits around the country. In fact, we've got an air-conditioned bus where they can all ride from city to city, and we will pay for the bus and pay for a driver. Well, if if I had thought in advance that God was going to use the Ministry of Tourism in a secular-slash-Muslim country, to provide access for the gospel in that country. You know, I, I would have never could have imagined that, but God can hit straight with a crooked stick. And we need to remember that. An 11th characteristic is that uh, this is about the whole body of Christ. Sometimes as the conservative evangelicals, I'm a Baptist, you know, we get tunnel vision and we say, you know, I trust me and I trust thee and I'm not too sure about thee. Uh, but God is the one in charge of this work. And when we realize that the body of Christ really is vast, there's nearly 750 million uh, Christians that we can draw upon uh, in the world today that uh, call Jesus Christ their Savior and Lord. And not all of them are involved in, in the Great Commission, but when we recognize that this is the whole body of Christ that's been called into the Great Commission, then we can be a part of that, and we can uh, tap into resources that we never imagined possible. And when we do that, along the way, we discover these anointed, God-anointed super spreaders. You know, sometimes we think, it's if, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. But in fact, it may be someone that we train or disciple, someone who's in one of our T for T classes or one of our No Place Left uh, initiatives 
who seems like, uh, boy, this person just doesn't have the ability to do much, but God sees their heart, and that person becomes an anointed super spreader of the gospel. And it's really on the backs and the shoulders of those super spreaders that we see movements take place. So we need to continually uh, start new streams of uh, evangelism and discipleship, recognizing that in each of those streams, there's the potential of someone who will be one of those, uh, what Kevin Greeson calls a fourth soil person, you know, where the, the seed falls not on a rocky soil or on a soil with thorns and, and, and tangles and vines, but rather on soil that produces a hundredfold harvest. So keep looking for those super spreaders that are scattered out across the body of Christ. And finally, someone has said this, it may sound like a cliche, but God never places an order that he doesn't pay for. And we're not out on this great commission venture, this no place left, incredible dream as a sort of a fool's errand. We're about this because God is about this. And we're simply joining where God is at work, recognizing that he's going to accomplish what he commanded us to do in the great commission. The real question is simply, will we get the privilege and the joy of being a part of it? And that joy of the journey of being on mission with God uh, will lead us, not every time, but by the grace of God, if we're fortunate, we'll be a part of a movement that goes far beyond anything that we could have ever imagined or schemed or dreamed up. And that's a part of uh, recognizing this is God's work and that he allows us the joy and the privilege of being a part of it. I want to thank uh, Peter Feeney Lindell of the On The Road podcast for making this audio available. It's part of a whole series he's been doing with Jeff Sundell on the characteristics of movement leaders. Subscribe to the On The Road podcast to listen in on the whole series. This has been episode 220 of the Movements Podcast.